0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
1: Yes, it is Friday, and we're glad you're with us for the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and good martinis to close out the work week, and we've got uh, plenty to talk about today, including the fact that we're brought to you today by Stamps.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our first good martini. Boy, that feels good to say. Uh, and that is a revisionist history in a good way for what is happening in Florida. We talked earlier in the week about how Andrew Cuomo is getting way too much praise given what we know is actually happening in New York. But the media has hammered on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and it turns out that uh, things are much, much better in Florida, not only compared to New York, but compared to what the media expected to happen here. I mean, even you and I were talking about why the beach is still open. These spring breakers are insane. Send them home. Let's uh, get this under control a few weeks back. But uh, the Santas took a lot of heat for not ordering a shelter in place until April 3rd. But over at the uh, Washington Examiner today, Kaylee McGee is talking about how Floridians basically self-isolated starting in mid-March kind of when everybody else did. He also did a more targeted approach on nursing homes and assisted living facilities. And he also deferred to localities when it came to implementing uh, restrictions. Uh, it's also important to point out that Florida's got a warm climate and that's believed to possibly help in uh, killing the virus sooner than perhaps some colder places on the map. So not out of the woods yet, but uh, seems like Ron DeSantis perhaps knew what he was doing, Jim, more than a lot in the media would like to admit.
0: Yeah, first of all, thank goodness. And I think that very often there has been this desire to have policies kind of shoehorn them into uh, a situation of Goofus and Gallant, the old uh, little comic of, you know, Goofus was the bad kid doing bad things and (laughs) Gallant is the good kid doing, you know, be like Gallant, don't be like Goofus. And unsurprisingly, it aligns very much with the partisan interests and leanings of particular newspapers and, and news organizations. Um, th- th- I'm going to read some stuff off to you, Greg, which I think is pretty interesting and notable. Um, deaths in long-term care facilities are nearly 40% of the COVID deaths in California. You probably haven't heard about that. You've probably heard about how Gavin Newsom and how, oh, what a great job he's doing and how they haven't been hit nearly as bad. And, you know. Okay. Well, you know, that's California. We talked about Cuomo earlier this week. Um, COVID-19 spreads in a Sterling Heights nursing home outside Detroit after taking in positive patients. Well, yes, this is the same phenomenon as we saw in New York City where the state said to nursing homes, you have to take people uh, from hospitals who are recovering from the coronavirus. They may still be contagious, but we need the hospital beds. You have to take them, Uh, and people who were running the uh, nursing homes were not eager to take them. Uh, but the state basically said, you have to do that. Well, okay. All right. So we got New York, we got California, we got Michigan. It's not like this will be happening in um, Pennsylvania. Oh, wait. In Pennsylvania, the average age of a person who dies from the coronavirus is 79. 67% occurred in nursing homes. So now we have a trend, right? Of now, four blue states, four governors, most of which have gotten pretty positive coverage of their uh, handling of this, all of whom have had significant outbreaks in nursing homes. And at the very first, you know, thought when we heard about this virus and how it was particularly dangerous to the elderly was, my God, we've got to keep this out of the retirement homes. Oh, by the way, which state has the most retired people? i go with Florida. Florida, God's waiting room, right? You know, the villages, all these elderly communities. And things aren't so bad in uh, in Florida. Isn't this a, not just a pleasant surprise, but something that really is a, a giant, like, almost a violent snapback against this narrative we had been told. Now, I, I do kind of wonder, again, as you mentioned, not just the climate, uh, in Florida, you often have more retirees who are in retirement communities, not retirement homes. So maybe they're a little bit more spread out. Um, maybe they're a little less likely to be interacting with each other as much. Uh, and maybe that's mitigating a factor. And it's worth, also worth noting Florida's not out of the woods at at this point, but look, if out of all the states you'd be concerned about this, out of all the places you'd say, "Wow, they really have to be careful about a virus that's particularly dangerous to the elderly," you'd think it would be Florida. And in fact, Florida's fairly low down, you know, fairly you know, not nowhere near the top, shall we say, of states that have been hit hard by the coronavirus. So, um, is it you know, it, it's it, it would be nice to see some humility in our assessment of this. There's a bunch about this virus we don't understand. Um, in yesterday's discussion, I noted how with SARS. Um, there were people who were getting SARS because of the ventilation of their buildings and because of, uh, bad plumbing and waste disposal in their buildings. Uh, this is over in China. Thankfully in the United States, we have better building codes and things like that. But if New York city is getting hit so hard, maybe it has more to do with people living really, you know, on, literally on top of each other and packed together, particularly the more, the older or worse maintained a building is. Anyway, you put all that together, it indicates that maybe this is not a simple one of, you know, your odds of dying from the coronavirus are directly proportional to the, your state having a Republican governor.
1: We've talked about this in some ways before, Jim. We, we compared Georgia with Colorado and how the, the media uh, was all over Brian Kemp for reopening, not so much with Jared Polis. But uh, there's just kind of this general idea, and maybe it's because more Democrats are holding this position, that if you're continuing to keep the restrictions in place, regardless of the conditions in your state, uh, you're the responsible one. This is kind of back to the goofus and gallon thing you, you mentioned. Uh, but uh, if the conditions aren't as bad in your state and you want to reopen, you're still reckless. So it, it's, uh, it, it's like there's no nuance. It's just... Very frustrating. Mm, this is a good foreshadowing of our third martini. <laughs> yes, it is. Stay tuned, listeners. We're all not right. mailing it in. <laughs> no, we're not. But you can with stamps.com. Very good, Jim. Uh for all our sakes, we need to avoid crowds any way we can right now. But what if you need to actually go to the post office? Because life doesn't stop. You still want to send out those Mother's Day cards. And if you haven't done so. You better hope your mom can get the card in the next couple of days here. Uh, if you need postage to send out letters and packages, you don't want to have to stand in line. And guess what? You don't because stamps.com is here to help. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. You can print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office, which is very, very helpful right now. Plus, on top of all that, you can actually save money with discounts that you can't get at the post office. See, Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else that you happen to be hunkering down right now. So whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle all of it with ease. You know,
0: Greg, I've, not been going, I've been trying to avoid going to the post office for a very long time for two really important reasons. One, I don't want to catch the coronavirus. Two, I don't like people. <laughs> Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required. Boy, are there there four words in the English language more delightful right now? It's just that simple. And as I said, with stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off of every first class stamp and up to 40% off of U.S. Postal Service shipping rates. And now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time
1: and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Well, Jim, when you said you didn't like to be around people, obviously you're joking to some extent, but now I've got this picture of you acting like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, just with this <laughs> perpetual growl anytime anybody gets within six or maybe even 10 feet. Is that about yeah, right?
0: Keep, at this rate, it's not, not unthinkable. Not unthinkable, <laughs> not that far away.
1: Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Three Martini. All one word, 3martini. That's stamps.com. Enter 3martini. Stay safe, my friends. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini. And it is really bad because today the U.S. Department of Labor released the jobs report, or I should say the lack of jobs report for the month of April. Here is the summary from CNBC. 20.5 million, a job loss of 20.5 million. The unemployment rate rises to 14.7%. 20.5 million is the uh, most historic job loss in a single month. Uh, 14.7 does not take out the 1933 high, but certainly is a post-war high, which was 10.8% hit back in 1982. So there you heard it, Jim. I mean, 20.5 million jobs lost, unemployment spikes from 3.5% to 14.7. It's the worst month, I believe, ever. Uh, It's the worst unemployment rate since the end of World War II. Uh, and just to put it in perspective, you know, a decent month, I would say, is, is the growth of about 200,000 jobs. This is 100 times worse than that for one month going in the opposite direction. So, I mean, this doesn't include the people whose jobs are being kept afloat right now by Paycheck Protection Program and, and, and other things. So uh, this is ugly. And I'm guessing May is not going to be great either.
0: No. And that's, that's the thing it's like this, you know, we, I, I joking, semi-jokingly, but accurately said in the future, when we look at this time period and we look at the chart of the unemployment rate or the number of emplo- unemployed, whichever, you know, measuring stick, you prefer the, the line's going to be a squiggle going along horizontally. And then it's going to just suddenly take off vertically. It's going to look like a straight line straight up. Um, and this, you know, the while it's good to see some states gradually starting to reopen, these first kind of tentative steps, by the way, I note to everyone, this is the Friday of the eighth week of quarantine for most people across the country. Wow. Um, it is, you know, I, I, the argument of reopening, I think it's done. I, I, think we, I think it's very clear. We need to, you know, this is, we don't have a choice anymore. We have shut down the economy as much as we um, morally, logistically, uh, socially and psychologically can. Um, there are a lot of, you know, complicated questions. I, I think the short answer is no one who feels, uh, at particularly a high risk for this virus should be going out and doing anything. You should not be making your coworker, your workers, uh, get onto the assembly line. I think we've seen at the meatpacking plants and Amazon warehouses and grocery stores, you know, that there is risk that inevitably economic activity is going to involve greater human interaction. And that that is going to increase the number of people who get infected. Now, you wear masks, you wear the protections, you wash your hands, you do stuff like that, you're probably gonna be okay. We're seeing improvements in the form of, of what kind of treatments we have. But look, all of the things being equal, you'd rather not get this. And this is a, you know, this is gonna be a delicate balance for the next couple of months. I think what's deeply frustrating is, okay, you know, next, next month it should be better. You know, people some non-essential businesses will be allowed to reopen to varying degrees over the coming weeks. Um, but we all know that they're not going to have the customer base that they had before all this happened. Uh, Certain places like movie theaters aren't reopening. Airlines are not going to be coming back. I don't think we're going to be, you know, I'm not sure Disney world is going to be opening up next month. Um, You figure most tourist attractions, most people, most leisure spending, you know, bars. There are a bunch of places that are not going to reopen when all of this is said and done, which means a lot of people in the service industry are going to be left Looking for a new job and recognizing that like it's not just the old business they used to work for went out of business. you know tons of businesses in their old industry went out of business and they may not have many opportunities. This is probably going to be a long, hard slog to get our unemployment back to where it was. Um, the last couple of weeks, you and I have been saying like, well, you know, at least we had a really good economy before all this started. That feels kind of empty right now. <laughs> that, 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 yes, it was great that we had less than 4% unemployment for a nice long stretch. But now is it at 14% in the official number? You throw in everybody who stopped looking and all that stuff. It's probably closer to 20%. These are great depression level circumstances. Um, And I think it's safe to say we cannot simply spend our way out of this. Yes, it's good to have the Paycheck Protection Program and things like that. But there's simply no substitute for an economy where people can go out there and start spending money like that. So um, in all of our bad martinis over the years, this is a pretty darn bad one.
1: It absolutely is. And they break down the the different sectors that lost jobs. Not surprisingly, leisure and hospitality lost 7.7 million. So over a third of those jobs lost, 5.5 million of whom came from eating and drinking establishments. Education and health services, you wouldn't think so with the the response to COVID, but because you couldn't do all the voluntary or the elective stuff, uh, education and health services total uh, 2.5 million jobs lost. Uh, Professional and business services, both lost 2.1 million and uh, even manufacturing was off by more than a million. So a lot of hurting going on right now. And as you mentioned, Jim, uh, we've got to get going. I saw one estimate today that I don't know how they figured it out, but 75,000 people could die from the economic downturn due to alcohol use or drug use or depression or what have you. Uh, Suicides are believed to be Uh, a concern now too. So uh, no matter which way you slice this, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. You want to protect lives on one side and you want to protect lives and livelihoods on the other. So definitely time to be praying for the people making the decisions. All right, let's move on to our last good martini now, and this is also on coronavirus. So we've got good news from Scott Gottlieb, the former head of the Food and Drug Administration, as well as Nate Silver. Uh, You've probably noticed in a number of places around the country, maybe even where you live, that the number of positive cases has jumped lately, which is true and not very exciting, but um, what they're not telling you oftentimes is that a lot more people are being tested. Uh, We're now up to the point where about 200,000 to 250,000 people are being tested every day. We still want to get that higher. But according to Scott Gottlieb on Twitter, quote, daily positive cases of COVID-19 as a percent of total daily tests continues to fall nationally, a very good sign as COVID testing expands. Declining positivity could be a leading indicator of an epidemic starting to decline. 10% is still high, but it's coming down at a steady pace. Uh, he says, this is great, more testing, uh, and the positivity rates are still declining, even though the overall numbers, obviously, are going to go up in that situation. So, uh, Jim, uh, we know that uh, the models have kind of fluctuated here and there, but uh, as the more data comes in with more tests, and this is actually on the decline, we got to say that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, you you look at that, and all of a sudden, you're like, wow, and it's one of those things where There are a couple of, at some point when all is said and done, I need to put together like the worst charts in this crisis. Um, One of them would say, dear God, every day the number of dead Americans increases. Do you expect it to decrease? Are you expecting mass resurrection? You know, the number of deaths will go up every day because you you, you don't get to move people from the dead pile back into the living pile. Um, the number who are die each day may change. The number who, you know, the death, daily death rate can change, um, but that can't. This one is important because there's an interesting argument that says that, you know, in a very strange way, the way this is this uh, virus and the pandemic and the, the lockdowns and such are being covered, that they've created an incentive to not do testing. That because, you know, as I said in a corner post the other day, if you test more, you're going to have more positive t- you know, cases. Just pretty much baked in the cake. You're, you're basically, you know, we all, we all know and strongly suspect that there are a whole bunch of cases out there that are asymptomatic that we're just not detecting. A bunch of people are going to get this, think it's a cold, think it's a flu, uh, think it's not that bad, not go to a hospital, never go to the doctors and say, hey, I think I've got coronavirus, and end up getting the test. And lo and behold, they end up uh, saying, oh, yep, you are correct, it is positive. Or they have a test that comes back and says, nope, nope, you got ordinary cold, you got an ordinary flu uh go to bed rest you'll be fine but you don't have coronavirus um that's you know if you what the result is a state let's say a state gets its act together they do a whole bunch more tests they put out the results and all of a sudden it looks like oh my goodness they had this huge jump in the number of confirmed cases they must be doing something terrible no they're doing what they're supposed to be doing which is increasing uh increasing cases in and, and number of these you know states and even the federal government and cdc Put out this criteria of here's what you want to see before you start reopening your society. And two of the things they mentioned were uh, you want to have a consistent, in many cases they say a 14 day decline in the number of positive cases um, and the number of uh, you know positive test results. And they also want you to uh, do a lot more testing. Well, as I just said, you do more testing, you get more positive cases. You, you're basically creating an incentive where um, you you if you if you do less testing then you're going to have fewer positive tests that you show up in your numbers. And you're like, Oh, okay, well, things aren't so bad. We can go uh, do that again. And that's, you know, not good policy. That is not really good thinking. Um, We need to kind of get out of our heads that there is a no risk path ahead. There's a risk path ahead. Every path ahead has a risk. The question is which ones are we most comfortable with? Which one is the least amount of collective risk for the most people? Um, And that is, uh, you know, I, I, Again I, I you know we talked about this in the first martini. I feel like there's just been this almost like a good portion of the number of people who cover the press or, or who cover national issues can't really see things out of outside of the Democrats' good Republicans bad um, prism uh, or lens so that as something comes along like the coronavirus, they look for confirmation of their belief that Democrats are good and Republicans are bad. Red states must be making the wrong decisions on this. Blue states must be making the right decisions on this. And as you and I have discussed over many podcasts during the course of this epidemic, that's not necessarily the case. And in this, theres I, I do not doubt that there are some people out there who um, are in such dire straits, either personally and economically, or they're just kind of going stir crazy. They, you know, again, they've now spent about two months of their lives either stuck inside their houses, maybe they're going out for walks and runs or something like that. They want to get back to work. They want to see their friends again. They want to support their local businesses. They want life to get back to normal. That is a deeply human response. I don't begrudge anybody that. So they look for any bit of good news they can get their hands on, uh, which is why they believe, you know, chloroquine, hydrochloroquine, it's a miracle drug. Well, no, no. If you read what I wrote earlier, there there are certain patients it's going to be very useful for. If they're having a uh, cytokine uh, uh, storm and they're having their effectively their immune system is going into overdrive and starting to attack healthy cells. Uh, but if you're not in that situation, hydrochloroquine, which is a drug that Im- suppresses your immune system, you can imagine circumstances would be very harmful when you're fighting off the coronavirus. You want your immune system working very well. So um, everybody kind of latches that. And I have no doubt that there are also gloomsayers and doomsayers out there. I'm sure there are plenty of people who feel like I've been rather eeyore-ish in my assessments of this, and I'm sure there's even more people out there who say it's because he's a Jets fan. He's forgotten what victory looks like. He's forgotten what it <laughs> feels like when things turn out well. Um, look, we are in a we, we are in deep doo doo. We we are in a really tough situation, um, but I think this this is when you need clear-eyed vision the most. This is when you can't. Be lulled too much into the 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 siren call of of excessive optimism, but you also get paralyzed by excessive pessimism as well. And so, you know, every day, you know, I wake up and try to do this in the morning newsletter. Greg, you and I try to talk about this in the podcast. I think there are a lot of good folks out there, Um, and you know, sort through it all and try to find the best answers. So as everyone goes into weekend number nine of coronavirus America, hopefully the slow emergence of post lockdown America. Uh, Try to keep that in mind, folks, and recognize that, hey, every time you see a chart, look carefully at what it's measuring and ask yourself if it's really measuring what
1: it thinks it's measuring. Yes. And I would point out also that today is VE Day. 75 years ago today, the Nazis surrendered on the Western Front. And I would say that the beginning of World War II, things didn't look all that great. Pearl Harbor, uh, the Bataan Death March and and things like that. And it took us a a while to obviously get engaged uh, in in Europe. But uh, ultimately, we got the job done. Hopefully it doesn't take three and a half years to, uh, to tackle this. So hopefully it's done much sooner than that. But uh, we've tackled big challenges before, and uh, hopefully we can do it again.
0: You know, Greg, if we can defeat German armies, we can defeat German measles. <laughs> you know, They're like regular measles, except they're disciplined and highly organized. Okay, sorry, German-American listeners out there. <laughs>
1: Exactly, and by the way, uh, this is not just as an aside, uh, especially this year, do something great for the mom in your life, whether it's your mom or the mom of your kids, do something great. Obviously, this is a unique situation, but everybody's been together now for uh, a number of weeks. And hopefully that's been a good thing for you. But it's still been a a lot of work. And uh, obviously, uh, your wife and your mom, uh, they're awesome. And they do great things every day all year round. So uh, I know it's a little bit difficult to go out and get stuff. But uh, do the best you can and let them know how much you appreciate them this weekend. Jen, see you on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Also, don't forget to visit our friends over at stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in three martini. And have a great Mother's Day. We'll see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch.